Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. This morning we are going to dive through the word and and, um, it comes at a good time. We had just celebrated the birth of Jesus. And we come to a time in the passage where the shepherds came to town and they proclaimed this birth of a savior and everybody was excited. And then time has passed and it seems like things have changed. We're gonna dive into God's word. We're gonna kind of see um, what, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to Jesus? I think there's a lot of different ways that we can respond to Jesus, but at the end, we're gonna talk about three different ways from this scripture that we can respond to Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I want you to open up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter two. I'm gonna do a lot of storytelling today just because I think it's important for us to understand the full content of what's going on here. So just bear with me as I tell the stories and kind of give you some background information. But look at Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, let, let me just kind of paint the picture of what's happening here. There's, there's Judea. And, and the best way I can describe Judea, Judea is like the state of Georgia. Then there's Jerusalem. Jerusalem's like Atlanta. It's the capital of Judea. And then you got Bethlehem. It's just a city. Bethlehem is about seven miles south of Jerusalem. And a lot of stuff is going on at this time. It's under Roman rule and under the Roman rule, there's a lot of cruelty. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of high taxation. There's a lot of things that are just going on in this very tense situation. But it's also a lot of good stuff going on. We, like we talked about last week, the Roman empire has uh, developed a road system, plumbing. Um, they've done uh, architecture They set up forms of government. They've done a lot of good things, but there's also a lot of tense stuff that's happening. And Bethlehem is a quiet little town, like I said, about seven miles south of Jerusalem. It's very fertile. A lot of stuff has happened in Jerusalem. I'm sure you, or uh, Bethlehem, as I'm sure you remember of, uh, remember uh, Boaz, remember that story in the the marriage of Ruth that happened in Bethlehem. Um, Jacob buried his wife, Rachel, that happened in Bethlehem. And probably one of the most famous things up to Jesus was that's the home place of David, King David. And before we go further, I was just reminded by sweet Allison in the back, we're having our um, family service here today, so we don't have any children activities. So if you're a child and you want an activity bag, or if you're a 40-year-old man and you need an activity bag to keep your attention, wives, come up and get it for your husbands. But if you need an activity bag, you feel free to come up here and grab you a bag. Thank you, Miss Allison. I appreciate that. There you go, Tasha. Grab one for Andrew. I appreciate you doing that. All right. So there's a lot of things that are going on in Bethlehem. It's a great little town, but a lot of things are happening. There's a lot of tense things going on. So these guys come to town. King Herod is in charge. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about King Herod. King Herod was also called Herod the Great. 
He, he did a lot of great things. He was known to build these amazing buildings. He was known to be a protector of his people. He was known to, um, uh, when somebody needed food, he'd give them food. But he was also a manipulator. He did all that stuff so people would like him. He battled um, being arrogant. He battled with uh, insecurity. He battled with fear. He battled with uh, uh, pride. He battled with uh, being very cruel. He was a very, very cruel man. In fact, when, when he came into power, he really came into power kind of as a, like a handshake deal with, through his daddy. His daddy knew Julius Caesar and they kind of just worked things out. And as a young man, they put him into some positions and over the course of his life, he became more and more accomplished and he did good things. So he kind of rose to power. And in 37 BC, the Senate got together and they crowned him the king of the Jews. And they put him in place and said, okay, you're gonna rule the Jews and go to Jerusalem and do that. So he goes to Jerusalem and he does some, like I said, some good things, but he's also a very cruel man. He didn't trust anybody. He, he goes through his life and maybe this sounds like your Christmas weekend, his mother-in-law comes to town and his mother-in-law says some things to him and guess what he does to mother-in-law? Kills her. His wife was suspected of doing some things so he got rid of her. His brother-in-law starts speaking against him and he says, okay, I'll take care of you. So he arranged them to go to the, the river to go swimming. And when his brother-in-law jumped into the river, he had people in the river to strangle him, killed him. Then his three sons kind of rose up as they became young men. And he kind of felt like they were siding with the enemy. So he took care of them, killed his three sons. He's a very, very cruel man. In fact, five days before he died, he, he sent his officers to go into all the city and capture all the noble, um, highly respected Jewish men and arrest them and put them into captivity. And he said this, this is what his decree was. He said, on the day of my death, I want you to slaughter them because I want there to be mourning in the streets when I die. That, that was the dude that he was. He, he was a ruthless man, mean man, battled um, arrogance, battled pride, uh, was very jealous. And it says, now Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod. Just horrible stuff going on. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So the wise men come to town. We know them as Magi also. Now the Magi go back centuries. They've been around for a long, long time. In fact, they served in all the dynasties. They served in the Babylonian dynasty, the Persian dynasty, the Greek dynasty and the Roman dynasty. They, they served in all those empires. They are very, very powerful men. We see them on Christmas cards coming in in these robes and there's three of them and they're riding donkeys and they just seem like just royalty. But there's a lot more to them. They're very strong. They're very powerful. They, they were very wise. They were very disciplined in the arts of history and science and medicine and as we know that they were very good in astrology and astronomy, they, they were good in the law, they were good in uh, advising, they were known as sorcerers, they would do tricks to, to get uh, knowledge to be able to give advice to, to kings and princes. In, in fact, they were consulted, they, would brought, they were brought in to, uh, to uh, look at potential kings and they would analyze them and they would, uh, they would do deviation over them and say, okay, this is your next king. They were king makers. They were very powerful men. And they come to town, and it wasn't just the three of them. It was multitudes of them. Some scholars say it could be up to 30 wise men came to town. Not riding donkeys. They were probably riding um, Persian Arabian horses. 
And it just wasn't them. They had an army that came with them because they were so powerful. They were so wise that they need to be protected. So they ride into town and, and everybody's kind of got their attention. Kind of things are going on. And these wise men have this powerful, powerful deed. They have a powerful um, authority about them. It's kind of interesting that since they go way back, I asked a question going, well, they ride into town. How do they know about Jesus? Other than the star, how do they associate the star to the savior of the world? I was really confused about that for a long time. And we're gonna look at Daniel. Something amazing happened many, many, many years ago. In the book of Daniel, something amazing happens. Daniel, as you, as you know, um, was a guy that was taken out of Judea, out of Israel. The Babylonian army came in and they took over Israel. They took over Judea and they captured it. And they made everybody in there captive. They brought them back into the Babylonian uh, nation. They killed people. They destroyed people. They destroyed property. There was a lot of pain going on that happened at that time. And some of the people, I'm sure you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember that story that happened then? They, King Nebuchadnezzar took them out of um, the Judea area into uh, Babylon. But there was also a guy named Daniel he took out. Daniel was a young man that loved the Lord and followed the Lord. He wasn't going to change for nothing. It doesn't matter what you told him to do. If it was contrary to God's word, he wasn't going to do it. He was just a strong man. And he grew up into the Babylonian era in this nation. And he became more and more respected because of what he did and the character that he had. Well, there's a time that in King Nebuchadnezzar's life that he had a dream. He had this dream and it bothered him. And he wanted to know what was the meaning of this dream. So he called together the Magi, the wise men. And look at it with me in Daniel chapter two, verse 11. He calls them together and he asks them to interpret the dream. And he tells them this and he says, listen, I, I want you to interpret the dream, but I'm not gonna tell you what the dream is. If you're so wise, you should be able to tell me what the dream is and interpret it. And they respond this way. The thing that the king asks is difficult. And no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So he comes in and says, hey, listen, I got this dream and I need you to interpret it, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. I want you to tell me what the dream is and interpret it. And they respond back, that's impossible. We can't do that. His response was, okay, I'm just going to kill you all. I mean, y'all aren't very wise men. Y'all aren't, aren't very powerful men. I'm just going to wipe y'all out. Daniel steps in and says, sir, excuse me, wait, wait, wait. Evidently he had some authority. He steps in, he says, listen, I can do what you ask. I'll, I'll tell you what the dream is and then I'll interpret it. Look what happened. Daniel chapter two, verse 48. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and, made, and, and many great gifts and made him ruler of all the providence of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. So what he did, he said, hey, you did a great job. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless you with some resources and I'm gonna put you in charge of all the magi, all the wise men. So I go back to the question, how did the magi know that when a star rose, that they associated that to the savior? How would they have known that? I mean, they were Gentiles. They, they weren't Jewish people. They were Gentiles. How, how did they know that? And I figured, I look at it and I go, hmm, 
God had to put something in place for them to know that. Huh, I got an idea. I'll put my son Daniel in Babylon. I will bless him. I will use him. I want to use Daniel because eventually Daniel's going to be in charge of the wise men of Babylon and he's going to instruct them and teach them because he is a godly man, loves the Lord, loves the word, and he's going to follow the word. I'm going to put him in charge of them so one day they can bring glory and honor and worship my son. It's amazing that we go through life and we look at the circumstances that we go through and we go, God, what are you doing? I mean, what, what's going on? Why, why is this happening to me? And all the time God's saying, just be patient. Be patient. I'm working on something. I'm working on something. Romans 8, 28 is a verse that we have manipulated for a long time. It says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. This is how we've rewritten this verse. We've rewritten it this way. And we know that for those who love God, all things work, good, work together for good for them. We've become these people that have this karma idea that man, if I serve God and if I love God and I do what God wants me to do, then everything's gonna be great. I can tell you, we got a room full of people that love God serve God, and her marriage is falling apart. That's not fair. I mean, aren't we supposed to be blessed? Aren't we supposed to have good things if we follow God and do what he calls us to do? I mean, why is there pain in my life? Why have I lost my job? Why am I struggling with this and that? Why am I doing this? I follow in God, why am I being blessed? Here's Daniel who was just doing life as a young man, doing things that just normal kids were doing. And next thing you know, this army comes in and starts killing everybody, starts wiping people out, and then they capture him, throw him into jail and kind of hold on to him, and then they start teaching him and training and, and teaching him things that he didn't want to be a part of and, and know about. He's in an uncomfortable situation, but God says, listen, I can use you being homesick for my glory. I can use your pain for my glory. I can use your circumstance for my glory. Why? Because I'm sovereign. Because I'm sovereign. You only see the here and now. God sees what is to come. A lot of times I struggle with this. And I talk to people and I counsel people and it becomes hard to look at somebody and go, I know I know you're trying your best. I know you're reading the word. I know you're applying the truth of God's word to your life. And I don't know why your life's a mess. I don't know why your wife is sick. I don't know why your kids are doing what they're doing. I don't know why. But the only thing I can come back to is that I understand God is in control. God is in control. And that his promise is that for those that love him, he'll use that for good. He'll use it for good. So here's Daniel rising up. I'm sure he didn't want to be there. But God said, listen, Daniel, I, I, I need you. I need you in this position for a purpose. Joseph, 
young man that his brothers hated him. They, ca- they grab him, they thought, hey, let's just kill him. I mean, he, he's driving us crazy, he's a little brat brother, let's, let's just kill him. And they decide, no, 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 let's not kill him, let's just throw him into a pit. And they thought, well, gosh, now what's gonna happen? He's gonna get in the pit and maybe he'll get out and tell dad, on a, tell dad about us and, or something like that. Let, let's do this, let's sell him into slavery. They sell him into slavery and he goes into slavery and he spends years in prison. All the stuff is being done to him. Not fair. But he rises to power. Comes to the point where there's a great famine in the land and his brothers come to him begging for food. And he says these powerful words. He said, listen guys, what you meant for harm, God meant for good. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. That's a person that says, God, here's my life. Wherever you wanna take me, take me. If you want my business to fail, let it fail if it brings you glory. My heart is for you, Lord. I love you. I care for you. I wanna follow you. And I don't care what the circumstances are. I'm gonna follow you. That's where Daniel was. So we got the Magi, very wise men. Guys that were powerful and strong very bright, sorcerers. <clears throat> this is where we get the English word magic. They, they, they knew how to do tricks, but they were impacted by somebody. I think it was Daniel. And they see the star rise to the east. And some people say it was a star created by God for that one purpose. Some say it was the alignment of Jupiter and Saturn. Some say it was just the glory of God being shown. I don't know what it was, but there was something that was directing them. And then when they saw it, they said, ooh, I can use my astronomy skills. I can use the influence that Daniel had on me. I know what the difference is. That's a, that's a difference right there. And I know what it is. So let's go. Look at verse two. saying this, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. They didn't come to town and they they didn't say, "Was was there a king of the Jews born? That wasn't their question. Their question was, where is this king? Where is this king? We want to come and worship him. That we have traveled miles to get here for one purpose, to worship him. Now listen, they were king makers. They didn't come to consult. They didn't come to appoint. They didn't come to advise. They came to worship because they realized this king is different. This king is different. He has authority. He has power. And he is, is worthy of our worship. I don't understand the star. I'll just be honest with you. I don't understand the star. Um, again, I don't know if it was planets. I don't know if it was a star. I don't know if it was God's glory. I don't know why everybody didn't see it other than a select few. I don't understand that. But I know it's true. Isn't it comforting to know that when you read scripture, that you read it and you go, ah, hmm, I don't have a clue what that means. Have you ever done that? Has anybody done that? I have done that. 
I've read scripture and go, wow, that's, I don't have a clue. I don't know. I, don't. I think it's great to be able to say, I, I just don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know about the star. I don't know, but I know it's true. I don't know why they were the only ones that saw it, but I believe it. And it says, when King Herod heard this, he was troubled in all of Jerusalem. He, he wasn't just troubled. He was agitated. I mean, he was ticked off, as we would say in the South. He, he, he was so mad that another king is coming in, stepping on his toes, taking his authority away, taking his power away. He was agitated. So I understand that. I understand the king being agitated because there's a new king in town. But all of Jerusalem was also troubled. Now, now remember this, remember the timeline. The shepherds have already come to town. They've already proclaimed, hey, here's the savior. We're here to worship him. And they go around and tell everybody and scripture says they were amazed. They were amazed. And now just a few verses later, we get to the point where they're agitated. They were troubled. Scholars say that the time between the shepherds and the wise men could be several months, even up to a year and a half. So a lot of time had passed. And they go from tap being passed from being excited to irritated. Isn't that amazing? That in a short period of time, they, they change 180 degrees. So the question is why? Why are they in this agitated state? I don't know the reason why. I, I can just brainstorm and think, maybe they were agitated because they knew how King Herod re would react and knowing who he is and his character that they would get caught up in the middle of all this chaos. Maybe they were troubled by that. Maybe they were troubled that they knew about the prophecy of this coming king, but it was 700 years ago and they got to the point where they're like, I just don't believe this mess. I, I don't believe it. Maybe they are irritated because now we got this group of men coming to town and the Magi and they, all these powerful men and there's an army that kind of comes along with them and, and maybe they're gonna come and they're gonna attack us and stuff like that. Maybe they're agitated by that, but their spirit has changed from being excited to agitated. Look at verse four. And he assembled, this is King Herod, assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and he inquired of them, where is the Christ to be born? They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet and they're gonna quote Micah and Samuel in this quote, verse six. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers. For from you shall come a ruler who is shepherd, who would shepherd my people Israel. So a prophecy that was about 700 years ago. King Herod pulls the chief priest aside and all the smart guys, he says, hey guys, listen, I, I hear about this king. Where, where's he being born at? I wanna know where he's being born. The chief priests and the scholars step in. They didn't have to go say, hey, hey, king, let me go find out. Let me go check out the scrolls and I'll find out for you. I'll go consult some people and I'll, I'll see. No, they knew exactly because they had memorized God's word. They had memorized the law. They were scholarly. They knew exactly the answer. King says, hey, where's, where's this king, where, king gonna be born at? They knew exactly the answer. They knew the exact location. But yet they were troubled. Yet they were agitated. Yet they were ticked off. Why? 
Why are these religious men ticked off? Why are they so mad? It seems like when, when Jesus enters into the scene, there's some ways that we respond. And, and for them, they just got agitated. Why? Because maybe he's gonna step on my toes. Maybe he's gonna tell me what to do. And nobody tells me what to do because I know the law. I read the word. He can't impact me. He shouldn't impact me. I should impact him. And they have this air of arrogance about them. In verse seven, then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Trying to get some information from them. Verse eight, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring word to me that I too may come and worship him. How many of y'all think that he was telling the truth? He ain't telling the truth. He's a liar, he's a manipulator, he's a person that has, uh, is driven by fear and rage and jealousy. Tell me where this king is so I may go and worship him. He hid his true feelings behind something spiritual. He hid his true feelings behind something spiritual. Now listen to me. We do that mess all the time. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great. What's going on in your life? Man, my life is great. What's going on? Nah, not much. How's, how's, how's things going in, in, in your family? Ah, it's good. God is good. How are things at church? Fantastic. Things are going wonderful. We're growing. People are learning God's word. I think it's time in your life and in my life, it's just to be honest and it's, honesty starts with yourself. If life stinks, just say, life stinks. I'm struggling with this. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know why God does this. I don't know why I feel this way. Just be honest and say it. But, you know, hide behind things that are religious. No, I'm good. Everything's great. To God be the glory. Really? You feel that way? Here's King Herod. Hey, tell me where the king is so I can go worship him. No, tell me where the king is so I can go kill him because I have rage in my heart. But I'll hide that because I want to look good in front of y'all. I'll hide it and I'll cover it up with something spiritual. Stop being spiritual. Stop being religious. Be real. The thing I love about our church is that that's the most prominent thing is that we're just real. I'll tell you, every person on stage up here are failures. We're sinners. We do things all the time. I hang out with Joel every day of the week. He's rotten. I can tell you. That's us. That's life. But yet we're trying and we're working. And something we say around here is that we stumble forward. We're gonna stumble, but we're gonna go forward. We're gonna get up. We're gonna brush ourselves off and we're gonna keep going and doing what God called us to do. Stop hiding behind things and be honest. Verse um, nine. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It, it wasn't, they were happy. They, they exceedingly great joy. 
Now, I, I like to analyze things and I read scripture and I go, okay, they exceedingly had great joy when they saw the star. But when they got to Jesus, they worshiped him. It seems like they were so excited to see the star that when we get to Jesus, they does, it doesn't say they saw Jesus and they were exceedingly had great joy in their heart. They saw the star. They saw a direction. And they were exceedingly joyful. In my mind, I see them walking, coming out of the meeting with Herod, and they're going, boy, that guy, I don't know. I don't know about that guy. And they walk out and they go, okay, we've been following this star, and evidently it's kind of gone away. And they walk out and they're thinking, now what do I do? Now, where do we go? I mean, Bethlehem, I mean, it's kind of a, it's a small town, but it's a bustling town. Where, where do we find a baby? What, what do we do? We, got, we came all this way, now white God. And the star appears and it blessed her heart because now they know. Now they know. It, it seems like we are in a time of our life that when people give direction, we want to fight back. It's like a time in our life that we, we say, okay, we're going to open God's word and we're going to ask for direction in our marriage. We're going to ask direction as a parent. We're going to ask direction as a teenager. We're going to ask direction for me as a coworker, as a supervisor. We're going to ask for direction for that. And we go, I, I don't need that. I, mean, I know how to do that. And we look at our direction, not with great joy, but with resentment. And the Magi step out and they go, now what? The star appears and they're going, ah, that just blesses me because now I know where to go. God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It guides us, it directs us if we choose to accept it. So they walk out, they see the star. And they have exceedingly great joy. In verse 11, and going into the house, they saw a child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gifts of a king. Gold is, is a kingly gift. And by the way, they'll need this money for what's gonna come next. We'll talk about that next week. Frankincense kind of just symbolizes the deity of God. And myrrh is used as, as ointment for those who are being buried. These guys knew what they were doing. They just didn't bring random gifts. They brought gifts to a king. They brought gifts to a savior. They knew what his role was gonna be. Verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. I've read the scripture hundreds of times. I've been in church services, children's church, where this has been taught. And I've thought I've understood it. And I've kind of just read the story as, hey, the wise men came to town and they worshiped God and, uh, and that was great and everything. And, and then they kind of skirted out by the, 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 the back alley just to get away. And then later on, you'll, we'll teach this next week, Jesus was, uh, uh, Joseph was warmed in a dream and, and said, okay, I want you to get Jesus out. I, I, I remember all that story. But I, what I've tried to, apply to my life in the past couple years is stop reading black words on a white piece of paper, but read it to apply it. 
And once you read it to apply it, God's word opens up a lot more. So this is how I apply this scripture. I think if there's, there's ways that we can respond to Jesus, and I've seen it in our church, I've seen it in our society. The first way that we respond to Jesus is that sometimes we're just indifferent. I, I see this in our students, that they hear truth being taught by Cody and Micah, and they go through their life and they're going, eh, eh. kind of indifferent. I, I mean, I'll believe it at church, but when I get to school and they teach something different, I'll just believe that too. And they're just indifferent. I don't really care. I mean, it doesn't really impact me. I'm just kind of indifferent about it. It's not very important. And I see this in the story. Matthew Henry has this quote, says, sometimes nothing short of a painful experience will awaken those who have decided to be inattentive or disregarding towards Jesus. Let me tell you, as one of the leaders of the church here, I want you to listen to me. Students, old folks, everybody in the middle, listen. Be careful, wait, wait, just... Let, let me help you stop you. I don't want to see pain in your life because you're being inattentive and disregarding to Jesus. Listen, stop. I, I don't want to see you go through pain because I know sometimes God will use pain to open your eyes to, wait, life's not about me? Let, let me tell you right now, life is not about you. That there's a higher purpose for you. Stop being indifferent and turning your way your back towards Jesus. Stop being indifferent. Accept it. Accept him. Believe him. Trust him. Jeremiah 29, 13. It's a great promise. If you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, maybe I am indifferent. I'm indifferent because I haven't seen God do anything to me or do anything for me. I haven't seen him really reveal himself. I, I don't really feel close to God. I don't feel like I'm walking with him. In fact, I don't really even know him. I, I know of him, but I don't know him. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here's a promise of God. You, you, you don't feel close to God? You haven't given a shot. Let me just speak truth in you. You're not trying. If you don't feel close to God, you're not trying. The promise here is that if you seek me, here's the, here's the result. You will find me. Not, ah, good luck, maybe, maybe not. No, you will find me. You wanna be close to the Lord? Seek him. Check him out. Let me tell you how you can do that. Spend time in his word. Spend time praying. Spend time with other people who encourage you. We're coming into, we're in our new year and we all have these new year resolutions. Let me give you another one. Turn off your social media for two weeks. Eliminate the distractions in your life, the influence in your life. Limit the influencers in your life for two weeks. And in those two weeks, take time to read the word, take time to pray, take time to seek him 
and you will find him if you do it with all your heart. If you do it with all your heart. You can't haphazardly go through life and go, uh, you know, I'll come to church and maybe I'll go to small group. Um, I, heck, I don't even know where my Bible is. That's not seeking with all your heart. For two weeks, abandon everything that is holding you back. Seek him and you will find him. Another way we respond to God is, or Jesus is, that we just get agitated. We've seen it in the story, we just get agitated. Like how dare Jesus come in and, and tell me how to parent? I mean, how, how, how dare Jesus tell me how to use my money? It's my money. I mean, it's mine, I can do whatever I want to. And we come to teachings that, that are hard and we get agitated. We get mad, we get troubled. James 1, through 24. This to me is an agitated person. It says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. To me, I see that as an agitated man that looks in the mirror and goes, I don't care. I don't care. I mean, who can tell me how to run my life? Who can tell me how to be a husband? Who, who can tell me to be a wife, how to be a wife? Has Jesus ever been a wife? He can't, be a, he can't tell me how to be a wife. Jesus, he was never a parent. How can he tell me how to be a parent? And we have this agitation towards us, towards him. And we respond that way. If you're like that, here's the great thing. We sung it earlier. And we talked about it. That it's the same God in the mountains as the same in the valley. If you're in that valley that you're just ticked off with God, tell him, yell at him, scream, shake your fist at him because you're being honest. One of the coolest scripture that, that's in the word and, and I, we tell students this and it kind of throws them back. He says this, I, I want you to be either hot or cold. I don't want you in between. I want you hot for me or cold against me. Can you imagine Jesus coming in this room and he says, hey, listen, if you're not hot for me, I'd rather for you to cuss me out. I'd rather for you to be totally against me. I don't want you to play this middle. I'd rather for you to do that. I'd rather for you to turn your back on me. I'd rather for you to yell and scream and shake your fist at me. Why? Because I can do something about that because you have emptied yourself and you're being honest. If you're agitated, tell him. If you need to shake your fist at him, shake your fist at him. Yell at him, scream at him. And I think it blesses his heart because he looks at you and goes, baby, I understand. I'm the God of the valley. I can work with that. I love you. Open your eyes and I'll show you how much I love you. But we respond to Jesus with an agitated heart. Richard Baxter was a pastor hundreds of years ago and he has this quote, he says this, there must be an inward practice of meditation an outward practice in true obedience. I think we have lost the art of looking at ourselves. We have lost the art in sitting down and going, 
how am I feeling? I know guys in this room going, ooh, don't talk about feelings, but you can do it. Am I failing angry right now? Am I mad right now? Let me meditate on it. Let me, let me just think about, let me do some self-reflecting. How am I feeling right now? And once you reflect on yourself, when we reflect on what, how you are and you read God's word, this is what he says, uh, Pastor Baxter saying this, listen, after you read it, think about it. Think about it. Again, just don't read black words on white pieces of paper. When you read it, think about it. Hmm, what does that mean? Chew on it. Meditate on it. Let it stew. Read one verse. It's much better for you to read one verse and understand it than read 10 and don't have a clue what it says. Chew on it. Think about it. Meditate on it. And then apply it. That would bless your agitated heart. And finally, when we get to the end of the story, the Magi come to town. They've traveled hundreds of miles. They've sacrificed so much. And they responded to Jesus by worship. When we talk about worship, it scares a lot of people. Because we figure, hey, that's music. And then when music starts, I gotta raise my hand. And that makes me very uncomfortable. And I don't like that. Sometimes worship scares us. But can I describe what worship is? Worship is doing things with Jesus in mind. If you sing a song with Jesus in mind, that's worship. Now you're gonna think this is silly, but it's true. You can eat a Krispy Kreme donut, taste the sugar on your tongue. If Jesus is mine, that's worship. Jesus, thank you so much for my taste buds. I know that sounds crazy, but if your heart is bent for worship, everything is worship. You work, that could be worship. Last night we were eating our, our dinner. I took my first bite took it, put it in my mouth, swallowed it, and something happened. My chicken did not go down my throat. It stuck right in my throat. I could breathe, but I couldn't swallow anything. I would try to drink water, and it would just stop, and then it would kick into a gag reflex. And for about an hour and a half, right? An hour, two hours, three hours? I don't know, a long time. This piece of chicken was stuck in my throat, and I could not do anything. I would gag, I would throw up, I would try to drink, and I would get online going, how do you get things down your throat, home remedies, blah, 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 blah. You know, same things y'all do. Drink a can of Coke, drink a can of Coke, er, that didn't work. About an hour and a half, this chicken stuck in my throat. My wife says, hey, you need to go to the emergency room. I don't wanna go to the emergency room. Listen, I don't, I don't I love doctors because y'all are incredible people. I just don't like seeing you. I just don't, I just don't. And for her to say, you need to go to the emergency room. I look at the emergency room, it's 259 minute wait. Uh, you can do the math on that. I can't figure it out either, but it's a long time. I, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna try it one more time. I'm gonna try it one more time. Took a big gulp of ginger ale. Swallow hard, swallow hard. Oh, I wanna throw up. Swallow hard, swallow hard. And eventually it was just went this fast. But when it got down, it felt good. 
and I go back to my plate and I cut my chicken up a lot more. That's the first thing I did. <clears throat> but I took a bite and I swallowed and my heart was worship. Man, thank you so much that I can swallow. Thank you so much that I can breathe. Thank you so much that I can be a dad. Thank you so much I can be a husband. Thank you so much that I can be a pastor. Thank you so much I can be a friend. Folks, that's worship. That's worship. You can worship every day through everything if your heart is bent toward worship. We see that with the Magi. I don't care how long it takes. We're gonna get to Jesus and we're gonna worship. Their travel was worship. Their packing of their horses was worship. Them selecting the gifts and holding on to it, wrapping it up to keep it uh, safe, that's worship. Them calling together guys around them, hey, would y'all protect us because we're gonna go see the king, that's worship. Them walking in the sand, that's worship. Why? Because their heart was towards Jesus. So how do you respond to Jesus? Are you just kind of indifferent? Does he agitate you? How dare him tell me how to live? Or is your heart for worship? As we walk into this next year, we got fresh beginnings. I don't know where your marriage is, what's going on, but God can intervene. I don't know where you are spiritually. God wants to walk the journey with you. Come to him with a heart of worship and he'll bless you. If you feel far away, seek him and you will find him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And there's times in our life that we're not honest with you. God, right now in this room, there's people that are struggling with things. God, I just pray that they would be honest with you right now. If they need to yell at you, do it. If they're disappointed, say it. If they're happy, show it. If life is good, God, may they give you the glory. So Father, as we walk into this new year, we have an opportunity and we usually try to do new beginnings and new habits. Lord, may a habit be for our church that for the next two weeks, we just turn everything off. We limit those things that are influence us and we focus on you being the sole influencer. Father, I love your truth in Jeremiah that, that we will find you. So Father, if there's people in this room that feel far away from you, that you would just reveal yourself to them when they seek you with all their heart. I know that truth will happen. Father, we worship you. Something that we just did, we, we just breathe a breath God, thank you for that breath. Thank you for our lungs. 
Thank you for the person sitting beside us. Father, we thank you for our jobs, our families. When we leave here, God, we want to thank you for um, having a restaurant. Thank you for having people there to serve us. Father, you are the creator of all things and we worship you. So Father, we don't have to worship you just in music. We can worship you in our breath. We can worship you when we eat. We can worship you sitting out in the woods because you're much bigger than what we think. And God, you're much more powerful than what we think. Many times we think that you can't handle our situation. So we take control of it. So Father, I pray that as we walk into this year that we would let go of those things that we're struggling with, our situation, and we'll give it to you. Father, we thank you so much for your love and your grace. Thank you for the mercy that you show us when we fall and fail. You're there to pick us up and help us forward. We thank you so much for that. Thank you for our church. May you continue to bless us as we read your word, teach your word, and apply your truths. your name we pray, amen.